It's Cofield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Welcome in Reno on this Thursday, ESPN Las Vegas here as well. Wheeler Ramirez alongside back in the Finley Toyota Studios. It's Ari, Angels helping us out down here at Silver 7s. We're happy hour continues up until 5 o'clock, 277 on most of their drinks. You know, we didn't get a chance to talk much about the Seattle Kraken, who may be a massive rival moving forward of the Vegas Golden Knights. I wanted an expert on to kind of get us in tune with what the Kraken are going to look like in the future. Also talk a little baseball and get his take on uh, his experience in the Arizona, the Phoenix market. Chuck Powell's with us. He does a morning show on KJR in Seattle. Chuck, what's up, buddy? Oh, the rivalry is on. Bring it on, Knight. <laughs> Thumbs up. <laughs> I think we hit the dump button there. Um, you know, <laughs> b- before we get to the Kraken specifically, do the Kraken fans feel like they have a rival yet? Uh, I don't. I think that's still kind of coming together. But I probably, I, I think there was a real a stark interest in a Western Conference Finals Kraken versus Knights to kind of get that going. Uh, so, uh, you know, all ever since this expansion process began, it, the organization's been compared to the Golden Knights, and you guys set such a high standard in terms of success right out of the gate. That first year, believe it or not, expansion years used to be you accepted the fact that your team's not going to be any good, and you're just glad to have that sport. Um, Well, there was some of that, certainly in the first year, but there was also this comparing your team to the success that the Knights had coming out of the gates and so I do believe that uh, a rivalry sparked, whether Las Vegas knew it or not. Um, and so this year, to kind of break through and play 14 playoff games in your second year and prove as much as you did to threaten to get as close to the Western Conference Finals as the Kraken got, um, yeah, I think that there was this feeling of if we can face the Golden Knights, it's the battle of the expansion teams, and a rivalry is just about ready to be birthed. So I think it's a matter of time. Steve, frankly, um, but uh, right now it's obviously in the infancy stages. When Vegas was here, the the immediate thought was territorial Vegas versus L.A., and then immediately after after the first couple of seasons it was San Jose for obvious reasons. I would imagine that outside of the um, expansion storyline, territorial-wise, Vancouver would be the obvious choice. Has that been talked about or no? Uh, certainly. Um, it's just in a, in a strange way, like Vancouver has not been good, and yet they have dominated uh, the Kraken in the first two years. So I think that there's that regional grab, but just like we see in other sports, I mean, Colorado and Detroit, for example, and the NHL specifically, became the biggest rivalry in the sport not too long ago. Uh, so from a geographic standpoint, I think that Vancouver is always going to they're going to grow as that geographic rival, but there are there's room, as we've seen before in all of our professional sports, to have more than one. And that tie, that expansion tie, uh, and that comparison between our organization and your organization in Las Vegas, uh, especially if they're going to be good at the same time, and it looks like that's going to be the case here for the next few years at least, uh, I think that sometimes that rivalry can grow even more feverishly than a geographical one. What was the reaction? What was the narrative from a sports talk radio standpoint, a fan standpoint, when the Kraken bowed out of this thing? Anger or yeah, satisfaction? Hey, it's year two. 
It was absolutely no. There was absolutely no anger. I mean, and it was almost universal. It was disappointment because you got so close, and obviously people wanted the ride to continue. And the city certainly got switched on by hockey here uh, because of the Stanley Cup playoffs and um, it bringing a different light to the sport. I mean, there was a time in the middle of the year where there was real some real hand-wringing going on within the organization about television ratings being down, even attendance being down already in just a year and a half of existence. And so it felt almost necessary, really, guys, that they make the playoffs so that they could give this fan base, this brand-new fan base, a taste of playoff hockey. Once they got it, man, did they have an appetite for it. They gobbled it up, and it crack and fever took over uh, here for a couple of weeks uh, in the city. Um, so once the ride ended, I think people felt uh, that they were receiving a gift that they weren't yet deserving of. So there was certainly disappointment because you got so close to making it to the Western Conference Finals your first time at the dance. But it transitioned very quickly into this universal appreciation for, hey, great ride that you took us on. You hooked us into hockey. We can't wait till next season. So there wasn't any anger whatsoever. A little bit, a little splash of disappointment, and then a big, giant wave of appreciation. Why do you think the Kraken lost the series against Dallas, and then what do they have to do? What are the goals in the offseason? What do you want them to get to uh, shore up any weaknesses? Uh, well, they've done such a smart job of, you know, they didn't build it the way Vegas did. I mean, the rest of the league did not cooperate that way. Um, so uh, they ended up really just grabbing a lot of good pieces. No great pieces, but a lot of good pieces. And, and it's really blended well here in the first two years. So they're really set up well financially. Because they haven't overcommitted, they don't have a single player on the roster who makes $6 million or more on their contract. I mean, they played in the playoffs without their highest-paid player, and Andre Burakovsky he hasn't been available to the team in the second half of the season. So they're set up really well to do just about anything that they want. Obviously, in the NHL, it's hard to get superstars. They're just not readily available. When somebody has one, they hold on to them. This organization would like nothing more than to grab one, but I don't think they're planning on getting that. So I think they'll go out, they'll get, you know, 25 goal score, they'll get a, they'll get a name free agent. And then I think what they learned in the playoffs was, yes, we're deep, yes, we're fast, but we're not tough enough to endure four rounds of this. So I think that they're going to spend a little bit of money on some really tough defensemen. Uh, so I think that's the next stage in terms of the roster construction. And uh, obviously they showed us that they're not too far away and they still have two top draft picks that they've had. Maddie Veneers, who turned into a star this year in his first full season, and then Shane Wright, who could have been the number one overall pick last year. He didn't play at all for them this year, and they think that he has some star potential as well. So those two just getting older, more experienced, should make a bigger impact on this team going forward. Chuck Powell, KJR in Seattle, up on ESPN Reno, ESPN Las Vegas. We're talking Kraken, Western Conference, uh, Dallas, and the Knights are coming up tomorrow, game one of the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, it's a little bit different here. Uh, the mentality here is there's a, a, a heavy cockiness about how good this organization should be. They need to win every year. They need to be big game hunters. They need to go out and get stars. And in a lot of ways, they're like the Rams, you know, and it didn't work too long in the NFL. I don't know if it's going to work long-term in the NHL, but kind of the F-them-picks mentality. Like, you know, the uh, the Knights look at picks as just 
leverage to go and get more superstar players. So they got a bunch of superstars. I'm going to make a like a really crazy pivot because I want to talk team building to the Mariners. And I yeah. think the I, I'm very high on the M's. Uh, I was pretty high on them coming into the season. They had the breakout season a year ago. So far, it's been kind of so-so. But I, I feel like intertwined in the story is all this hope and promise with some of these young pitchers. So why haven't they gotten out to whatever, uh, you know, a 25 and 20 start, a, you know, 27 wins? They're not terrible, but maybe a little bit underwhelming? Oh, certainly. Uh, certainly disappointment, even from those of us, and I count myself among them. As a matter of fact, I might be the president of uh, in, in Seattle of those that have been most impressed with uh, the rebuild job that Jerry DePoto has done. Every year they've gotten better since they decided to do this rebuild, and every year the doubt has kicked in at the beginning of the year that they haven't done enough uh, from a lot of the fan base, and yet they just continue to advance the ball down the field toward becoming a championship team. Making the playoffs last year was the biggest step. Winning a playoff series was a big step. Uh, but to become a championship team, you know, there is some legitimate uh, concern that they didn't do enough in the offseason to make that splash. But make no mistake, this rebuild has been done exquisitely, um, and this roster is better than the one last year that made the playoffs. But for whatever reason, and it is mystifying, this is the third year in a row, and they've won 90 games in each of the last two years. This is the third year in a row in which they have started dreadfully, and especially on the offensive side of the ball. Um, so this is, uh, you know, it, you can't really figure it out. This is a team that right now is hitting Teoscar Hernandez, a two-time Silver Slugger Award winner, seventh. So a team that's putting him seventh in their order could be scoring more runs. And as of late, they have been. They've won uh, 10 of their last 16, so they're not playing dreadful baseball like they were in April. They've averaged over five runs per game during that time, so the offense is starting to pick up. And throughout the entire process, they have sported maybe the best pitching staff in the entire world. So, and it's built primarily around young players. So the future is very bright. I think this team will get it kicked into gear this year. I still will predict that they'll make the playoffs this season. And I think they're probably Julio Rodriguez playing like Julio Rodriguez. He's off to a 210 start this year. I think that once he starts to hit, I think everything else is going to fall in place. They got a hot streak coming. I think the Mariners are still going to make it to the playoffs this year. And then once they get there, they're very dangerous because of how good their pitching is. Another massive left turn. I'm going to go to an old market that you were in. How long were you in Phoenix? And you did both what, FM and Sports Talk Radio? 15 years. So 15 years. So you were around the the hockey there, the Yotes there. And I don't know know how deeply you're following what just happened in Tempe, but the residents of Tempe said, no, you know, we're not interested in this new Yotes project. I don't know all the reasons. Uh, I think a lot of it was uh, it's not privately financed. A lot of it was kind of buried, and it's publicly financed to a to a big tune. But just your general take on why you know hockey's working in Seattle, winning helps, and do you believe that Arizona really is a good hockey market, or is this the end of the line? Do they need to just move? They should have left ten years ago. It's just it's horrible. I mean, it's I mean, yes, there is a passionate small. Uh, fan base that is hugely committed, and it's really disappointing uh, every time that a franchise gets ripped out from a city for that 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 handful of people that are so passionate about it and have supported it since it got first. But the truth of the matter is, there's not enough interest. 
they've given up hope on trusting any ownership group. They no city wants them in their town. I mean, Glendale was paying them to get out of their town, for goodness <laughs> sake. When have you ever heard about that? Right. Uh, and Tempe just had a bid for them, and people really thought, well, this works pretty well. We're playing in a college arena, and it's mostly full for another bad hockey team. Uh, and yet the vote got shot down again. So it's time. I mean, it's just like the Oakland situation. I love A's fans. I love the craziness that they create up there in Oakland. But my goodness, how many more years do we have to give you to get your act together? So I, I think that I think that it's time that they rip that organization. There are plenty of cities out there that would love to have an NFL, NHL franchise. Um, just like I think there are plenty of cities lined up to have baseball uh, franchises. So I think coddling these cities for decades at a time, I think that's over with. And I believe that uh, yeah, the Coyotes should move out of Arizona. And that pains me to say. I mean. I still love Arizona. I lived there for 15 years, and I know plenty of Coyote hockey fans. But it's just it's, it's, it's a small group. You just can't protect everybody's feelings. It's either working or it's not, and it hasn't worked there for years. It's time to go. Chuck, you're the best. We appreciate a couple of minutes. Let's talk soon, okay? All right, man. Thank you. Appreciate you is. guys. The morning host on KJR, Chuck Powell, with uh, some honest opinions. And I'm not saying the Arizona Sports Talk guys aren't honest. I think they're a little bit misled on what was going on in Tempe. But they, from what I saw, a lot of them were like, well, these residents of Tempe are just stupid. Why would they vote this down? It was a free deal the uh, Coyotes in town. I'm not so sure that was the case. We push back the Big Four. It's coming up here in less than seven minutes. Stick with us. Silver Sevens on this Thursday. 77-cent beers tomorrow during the VGK game. Silver 7's on this Thursday. Reminder, we're at the uh, Bud Light Sports Bar. This is where they have their live entertainment. Silver 7's does on Fridays and Saturdays. Starts up at 8.30. Goes until TBD. Uh, Rock 702 is playing this Friday. Uh, Laura Ash and the Inferno is actually playing on Saturday. They have a great drink special for their live entertainment. $3 beer and a shot. Bud Light, Bud, McUltra. And you uh, get to pick a Jack Daniels or a Tito's shot. That is all during the uh, live entertainment on Fridays and Saturdays, starting up at 8.30. Big Four time. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents The Big Four at Four. Number Four. As I told everyone last hour, Ari was insistent. we got to get some of my stories in here. He's a big uh, Bustin' with the Boys fan. Uh, always has good dialogue with those guys. Um, and especially Taylor Luan, who is available to play around the NFL. We had heard maybe the Raiders would have some interest since he's done with the Titans. Uh, Ari sent over this video. This is Luan trying to make a left turn and saying that, hey, this is the way to do it. What's up, squad? Welcome to an edition of how to actually do it. So there's the line. I'm pulling into the gore area. Now that my front two tires are through the street or into the median area, I now have the right of way to turn when it's free. Now I could have turned there, but I want to show you guys something cool. This is going to take a little bit longer because this is worth showing these people that are just not understanding the rules of the road. See, it's yellow. Watch this car. It's going to go. No, it's not going to go. We got a red and we're turning now. So now I have made the light because I was in the middle. It's that easy, squad. Uh, 95% of the thread was filled with that was illegal and you're a terrible driver. My favorite comment was a gif of a guy just kind of in disgust because he was like, and this is me behind you because you were saying I could have went, but yep. I went, and now I, I you can't just, go. You just F me. Yeah, yeah. 
One, I don't think legally you're allowed to roll into the intersection. You're not. You're not. It's just kind of like not. it's. It's. Just, we all, a lot of us do it. Yeah. Well, here I, I'll tell you this: if I'm first in line and it's one of those situations where it's the flashing yellow or the green, with the you know in the specificity where it's you know you're yielding to oncoming, yeah. I will wait until I see that I'm about to have a shot and then I'll pull out. And if I see that my my now if my light turns yellow. And they're still coming. Yeah. I will dart out there. But I will not sit out there at the beginning. I won't. All right, when you watch this, was there a left? Was there a specific left turn? Like we you know, most most intersections here we get we get the left turn for at least a you know, fifteen, twenty, thirty seconds. I don't think there was one. You're talking about like the light, the arrow? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think yeah, it wasn't green, I think it was flashing yellow, I thought. All right. Well, go back and watch the video, and we can talk about this in the 5 o'clock hour. Here's the problem. It's your story. Here's the problem I had with the tease in terms of when it came over on the rundown, when it said I was really hoping it was going to be a true left-turn lesson because here's (laughs) the problem that people have in this town, especially off of Frank Sinatra Drive, leaving the Golden Knights game when you're facing Mandalay. Reno, Frank Sinatra Drive, where is it? If they don't live down here. I was just saying, cut off, man. When you're facing Mandalay Bay, clarify and explain to the audience. <laughs> when you're that isn't facing here. Mandalay Bay Convention Center, you're about to take a left on Russell. You turn you, if it's a double left lane turning, you know, two left lane turners turning right. The inside lane car. We have more people in this town that veer into the second lane when you're arriving. It is the most irritating. So if so if I'm up against somebody, I will purposely. Purposely, you got to squeeze them in. I hang tight and stay you're, you're in going my tight, lane. Willie. And if they honk, I look at them like, "Stay in your lane." <laughs> I and it happens after almost every Golden Knights game, and it's the most irritating ta- yeah. thing in People the entire town. It, they do. They. You know who does it? My mom. And here's what's worse: she does it when she's on the outside lane. Forget just being on the inside lane. Where did she go? Into the left or far no, right? No, she veer. No, they all veer to the right. They yeah. veer off. You, you have to oh, turn. Oh, so you're saying you're saying left to left. She starts to veer to the right. Right, and yeah. so do the inside lane people. But it's very irritating. You have to understand. You have to pull tight. And I don't care if you're driving in a big ass truck. Yep. Pull that thing in. Let's go. It's been established, folks. When we talk about driving, we're the experts. Listen to Cofield and Company. We all know what we're doing. That's right. And quickly. Number three. There was no turning light, just so you know. Okay, good deal, good deal. Uh, I saw a great TikTok video. I see about a 1,000 a night uh, added, <laughs> added to the rundown every once in a while. This is a man after my own heart. He went to the deli, and, you know, I mean, cold cuts right now, mod on. I mean, it's through the freaking roof. Uh, wherever he went, had um, turkey for $17 a pound. He's like, I'm, I'm taking care of this myself. I've had enough. I'm not paying the $17 a pound for turkey meat at the deli. I got a family of four to feed over here. That pound is going to be gone in one lunch, dude. I'm serious. I'm like, no way, man. I can't do it. So I went over to the meat department. I'm like, I'm going to be a hero. I'm going to grab a turkey breast, okay? I'm going to do this. I'm going to cook some some turkey lunch meat, and we're going to slice it, and we're going to be good to go. Well, they didn't have any turkey breast. You know what? I'm going to do chicken. So I grabbed some boneless, skinless breast. I seasoned them up. Dude, this was like $6. I threw a little curing salt on to make it taste like deli meat. Then I threw it in the pan, threw a little parchment paper, a little bit of foil. Cooked it at 275 degrees because I didn't want it to dry out until it hit 158. Okay, so his logic. Can we replicate deli meat by just getting chicken or turkey breast? 
cooking it, slicing it thin. He mentioned some some salt on there. Or is it actually, you know, he got, he, I don't know what he said there, like four pounds for $6, which seems a little too cheap. But whatever. Chicken breast, you could probably get, you know, $2 a pound. So eight bucks for four pounds. Can you make it taste like deli meat? Can you slice it the same way? Does it have enough consistency? Or is it worth paying double? Wherever he's at, I don't want to live, first of all, because my deli, that's not the price. But I think that you can duplicate to a degree. I don't think you're going to get the same exact flavor if you're looking for, you know, specific brands. But you could very easily create something where you could get an injector, you could inject flavor into the breast meat you can let it sit you can marinate like he made it seem like he went and bought it he came home he did it you are definitely not going to get the flavors within the meat right just by picking it up coming home and doing it and then he's so got a deli slicer uh if you have the de- i think if you have one of those slicer. deli slicer the slicer then yes i i would be exactly. all in for something like that and here's the other thing he mentioned slow cooking. He did it at two. He's like, he threw it. and yep. then. So here's the thing. I would be all in. You know who would do something like this? Our guy. Because he's got like 17 smokers in his backyard. Grilling McMillan. Oh, okay. you got to smoke the meat to make to make deli meat because a lot of them are smoked. Outside of, oh, forget about the salami, the Genoa, you know, stuff like that. The hot salami, the dry. Next time we have on uh, Judge Dan, because he is a real pit master, and he's got, I don't know what that $5,000 rotating smoking thing is. I wonder if, if he's tried to make his own deli meat. I'm fascinated by this. Let the guy finish up. I then took it to a cooling rack. Just let him rest, man. It was fine. Put him in the fridge, pulled him out, brought him to the slicer. Dude, $6 for like four pounds of f-ing deli meat? Come on. I will never do it again. Exactly. Exactly. I, I like the whole time. He's like, he's just exasperated. He's like, come on, man. Here's the here's the one thing I will say. There's embellishment to make his. He wanted to make his TikTok. Is he showed the price tag of the deli meat where he said seventeen dollars a pound? If you're in a grocery store that's charging you that much for deli meat, are you really getting chicken fresh, boneless, skinless, trimmed chicken breast for a buck fifty a pound? Eh, I don't know. I'm gonna call him out on that. Number one. Uh, we'll do number two here. Uh, game ones are in the book for the NBA semifinals, the final four. Your impressions? Who are you picking now? Change your mind? No, I, I originally said both. I like both dogs um, because I, I think that the, the Lakers made a little bit of a statement for themselves. The, the, the wild card in that is going to be Anthony Davis because we've seen throughout the playoffs where coming off of a big game, which he had a big game even in a loss because they made that big push late, he comes out lackluster. And without, you know, Robin to the Batman, Batman to the Robin, whichever one's whom, I think that they need big games, you know, in, in game two. Um, but I think that the adjustment with Rui Hachimura, it made sense. And you can look at it and go, well, now they know what you're going to do. Well, no, now you have to adjust to what they're going to come for all four quarters with. So um, it's an interesting line, and I think it dictates sort of that the Lakers have a chance to win this, um, at, you know, and, and you just can't count out LeBron James. I mean, I look at I mean, yeah, the Joker is the Joker, and he, he, he could be. And let's put it this way. If the Nuggets win this series, do we now enter him in the conversation as the greatest player in the world at this time? That's, that's, a, that's a legit question. So on the other side, we talked about it earlier. I think the best coach that's remaining in the Final Four is Spo, and I think Boston's got its hands full with Miami. So Yeah, and adjustments with the Lakers, the Nuggets are going to react. 
Like it's not like the first time in his entire career this season that Jokic has seen was fa- was facing a small. Right. And if the Lakers choose, the Lakers are going to have to mix it up. It's not going to be just one style of player. It's going to be smalls and at times a big like AD. It'd be nice if they actually use some of the other bigs off the bench. I think at this point they don't trust them, but you may want to mix in a couple of minutes for some of those guys. But you got to pick your poison if. You want to have a small on Jokic, they're going to have him on the block a lot more often, which I I don't mind because then that allows AD to be in a position where he's a help defender. But, again, to keep coming back or, you know, over the top on every one of these arguments, who's the best passing big man in this era in the NBA? It's Jokic. So, all of a sudden, you help off. Someone's uh, jetting down the weak side, and Jokic generally can find him. If it's not that person, then it's, you know, cross-court pass to someone open for a three so there there's a there's a reason you know in spite of the i guess i'll mention again that it seems like a lot of the espn national folks hadn't really watched Jokic a whole lot there's a reason he's been piling up these numbers he's friggin awesome yeah and he can adjust to being at being defended harder at the top of the key in the middle of the lane and on the blocks this hour every day in reno in vegas is brought to you by our friends at battleborn injury lawyers matt hoffman justin watkins you need advice? You need some hardcore help? 766-1400 is the number. Remember, you got to dial 775 in the north, 766-1400. Rolling on into the second half of the program. Willie Ramirez is here. Angel, Cofield, Silver 7s. Got the new prime rib special going down. You know, Eric told us, head of marketing, it's going to be a whole new world here, City Cafe. Prime rib. Dropped a couple of bucks, 22 bucks. Special good on Fridays, Saturdays. Five feet of clothes up at the City Cafe. Uh, Later on, we're going to talk hummus. Apparently, it's National Hummus Week. I had some hummus yesterday. We'll get into that. That's very exciting. It's nonsense, but it's exciting. Very exciting. But Willie's back. So we do have to get you ready for the beginning of the Aces season, which, of course... Got a little muddled this week with some of the news out that Becky Hammond was being dinged by the league, William. She's going to miss the first two games of the season because of that suspension. Do we have the money? Do we have that all clarified? I assume if she's making a million a year, that means she got dinged $50,000. Right? Mm. She's out the first two games. So... What happens here at the beginning of the season from a coaching standpoint? Who steps up in Becky's place? She will have, I'm just doing the math here. She's going to be down about 47000 just so you know. Um, Big chunk of change, especially if you're a player. Well, it's in, well, she's, she's not, not a player, but you get my but, point? Yeah, yeah, well, she basically has been, uh, that her fine is basically someone's annual salary. Um so she's suspended for two games, and they've decided that they're going to let uh, lead assistant coach uh, Natalie Nakasi and assistant coach head of player development Tyler Marsh. If you've ever been to an Aces game and you've been out there while they're warming up, each each of the ladies, they come out for shoot-around, but they go through their own actual – they have their own little thing. Like Kelsey Plum has an extensive pregame ritual, which she's been doing since her days at Washington. And uh, Natalie works with her personally. Tyler works with her. So um, Becky 
sees it sort of as a good thing that they're each going to get a chance to sort of implement what they do under her system. One will coach, and I'm not sure which one's going first. I can't remember. There is an order. I think Tyler is in the opener up in Seattle and then against the Sparks. It'll be Natalie. I could be wrong. I can't remember if they announced, but I think they did. Um, but, yeah, so they. It, here's the thing. It's not going to be much different outside of Becky getting in their ear and yelling at them. Um, but you're the defending champs. A lot of your players are back. The two key additions are both multi-WNBA championship rings holders in Alicia Clark and Candace Parker. I don't see them necessarily missing a beat in terms of what they bring. The one thing is they're opening on the road. There's going to be a target on their back. And the second road game of those back-to-back road games is in L.A. where De'Erica Hamby is. The reason for all of this in the first place. So, Sporting Tribune, what are we setting up here for the season? Aces, Liberty, uh, over-under on combined wins, 63-and-a-half? Can they each win at least 31 games in a 40-game season? They can, yes. If you're asking me if they're capable of doing it, yes. Will they? I don't know because we don't know about injuries. We don't know, you know, what what takes place um, in terms of anything could happen, right? Um in reality, they're both, I mean, outside the veterans that, it's kind of weird to say this, but the veterans that the Aces have is now Candace Parker and Alicia Clark. So, I mean, they're relatively young. With the, the nucleus that they have, the Liberty, their oldest player is Courtney Vandersloot. So um, they're both capable of, of winning 30 games, 30-plus games. Whether or not they do it, I think it all depends on injury. Silver 7's on a Thursday. Remember tomorrow. VGK game and all the rest of the Golden Knights games in the playoffs. 77 cent beers during the game. Bud Light Sports Bar and also across at the Silver and Gold Bar. 77 cents for bottles of Bud, Bud Light, and Michelob Ultra. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with Brad Powers. One of our favorite spots of the week. It's here. Brad Powers, college football expert, college football winning better, which is pretty damn unique, and he posts a lot of his plays and his actual tickets up on social media at Brad Power 7 on Twitter. What's up, Brad? Hey, thanks for having me. All right, let's get into the transfer portal because it's just not stopping. It's still active. I know you tweeted out today about uh, Florida State and LSU that, you know, they've got a meeting coming up, and they both just hit big on multiple fronts coming out of the portal, right? Yeah, so yesterday Florida State gets, uh, you know, the top wide receiver left in the transfer portal, a Michigan State kid that transferred after spring in Keon Coleman. I mean, an all-Big Ten caliber uh, wide receiver, so a guy that can probably come in and play even and start for a very talented Florida State wide receiver core. LSU responds today and gets a very talented kid that had transferred to uh, Tulane to from Marshall uh, after last season. And now after the spring, he transfers from Tulane down to LSU Andre Sam's his name uh, uh, again. A, a kid that was probably was going to be if he stayed at Marshall, uh, probably the best safety in the Sun Belt. But uh, now he can be a key depth piece for LSU. We shouldn't overlook the transfer running back, right? I mean, you follow Notre Dame real close. I was there at the Notre Dame uh, UNLV game on the ground, and UNLV yeah had a chance to compete a little bit in the fourth quarter. They couldn't get the ball away from Diggs, who's just a freaking Mack truck up the middle, and LSU landed him right. They did, and Logan Diggs, the kid that ran for you know 900 yards last year for the Irish, so 
I, I would not be a bit surprised he ends up being their starting running back. The kid would catch the ball in the backfield in a nice 75-yard uh, reception touchdown in the bowl game uh, against uh, South Carolina. So uh, he was just going to split reps with the uh, Notre Dame's other big back, so maybe he wants to be the bell cow, and he's capable of being that at LSU. So yet another. I mean, it just, uh, you know, they, they keep adding additions. And I mentioned, hey, I mean, with these guys, both Florida State and LSU continuing to add to their, you know, their depth charts, I mean, this is easily a top five most important game in the entire regular season, and we get it isolated on a Sunday night, week one. Love it. Woo! Brad Powers with us. College football expert, college football better. He bets everything. He joins Cofield and Company on Thursdays. I saw that uh, Alt McCaskill, uh, running back from Houston, transferred to uh, University of Dion in Colorado. Uh, he's an intriguing guy because he had a great freshman year, and he's one of those guys who has the look. He's actually kind of big, tall, super fast, coming off ACL. You know, talking to friends who cover the Buffs, it's a big get, but the I guess one of the problems for Colorado could be, you know, with all the speed on the team, do they have an offensive line? Yeah, that, that'd be my worry, too. And check you out, the, the old Cofield Scouting Service, because that's exactly how I would describe McCaskill. He is a, a bigger back, but, but, but he still has top end speed. I, I worry about him coming off the ACL injury just to you know, see if he still has that gear. Uh, yeah, there's still a worry about Colorado. I think their starting 22 is going to be pretty good. Uh, but I worry about the depth, obviously. Yep. I do worry about the trenches. Uh, offense and defensive lines would be my biggest issue. D-tackle, I think they got some legitimate edge rushers. The D-tackle is a concern. And, uh, you know, their offensive line's not going to be great. That's actually where they've had a bunch of holdovers from last year, which isn't a good sign in my opinion. And I don't know. If they have any injuries on that offensive line, I don't know what they're going to look at the end of the season. And when you're playing, I mean, uh, they're playing a tough schedule, 11 power five teams, and you're going to get some attrition. Uh, Ari was just asking me if Brad Powers is your real name. We don't need the answer on that. I think Ari's working on a long-term deal for you with Cofield and Company. Yeah, we pay a lot. Uh, but we want to lock you up because I see you are on more podcasts and shows than ever before. I saw that you were on that SEC podcast. How much more intense has the SEC gotten since the portal now makes this, you know, a 10-month college football season? And then sports betting has now moved into a lot of these southern states. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I would say in all of sports, and I'm talking the entire world, I, you know, European soccer and, and SEC football are probably the two most fast, passionate fan bases that are out there. Uh, and, and now you have the ability to take that passion and try to make some money, I would say, lose money uh, in, in those particular states. But, uh, yeah, I, the demand for football, I mean, the fact that you can watch every spring game now, that wasn't the case 10 years ago. Uh there's just, you know, it's a year-round thing. Uh, I mean, it, 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 there was always that passion, but uh, it was never something that uh, I would get requests to do radio shows, you know, the, as much as I do now 10 years ago in the offseason. Mm, damn. No more stadium tour. I think it's out. I think you got to do all these uh, shows for free. No, that, that's yeah. in early July. That's yeah. uh, 25 and yeah, four days is the goal. Yeah, you got you got to do it. 25 and four days. Impressive. Yeah, that's, that's, that, that's going to be the attempt. We'll see if it works out. Do you want to take someone along? Is that a thought? Or would that be too much? I'm not saying I want to come along. Um, I think it would be a hell of a trip. Would that bother you if someone was with you? Like, if they were like, oh, i got to go to the bathroom. Can we eat five times a day? Like, I feel like Brad Powers is a lone wolf. No, my dad's been with me. Uh, oh. He's the last few trips, and uh, he's going again this year. Oh, nice. 
What a freaking treat. That's a great idea. Uh, DraftKings, I don't know if they're the first one to have out Mountain West over-unders. I saw an offshore book has one. But they got out Mountain West uh, win totals. First, UNLV, six. Yeah, it's the right number in my opinion. I, I made it right around six, which I mean says I mean if you want to leave and get the ball eligibility, something that just does not happen very often in these parts, uh, that would be a successful first season. But uh, I think that, you know, number one that they benefit from the Mountain West, I mean last year, I mean by any analytics metric as far as a power rating goes, Mountain West probably had their worst season in their twenty five year history last year. And UNLV has more talent still than the Colorado State, the the Reno's of the world. Hawaii that's still rebuilding. New Mexico is really bad. So I think they can take advantage of it. I like the coaching staff, and I think six is, you know, right there. I went, I am not that over or under, and you know me, I'm not afraid to make a bet. Wow, Brad Powers. We're on in Reno. He drops a Reno on Reno. Um, I like to refer to them as uh, the Wolfpack or Nevada, my friend. Uh, the number is the number's two and a half. It's the lowest number. Does that seem too low to you? Well, I should hopefully totally redeem myself because I thought that was one of the worst win totals that they posted. I uh, did not get to it quick enough. Uh, somebody beat me in the two and a half. Uh, I did that three is good. I mean, I'm more in the four range, so I thought there was significant value in Nevada uh, over their win total. I, I watched their spring game. I, uh, I There's some pieces there. There's a lot to work with there. I mean, I mean, it brings in a ton of power of eye transfers from Cal and Oregon. Yeah, I mean, they, they got really low on talent, uh, you know, with injuries and transfers out of the program and then the former coach is stealing a bunch of players. At the top of the conference, Boise 9, Air Force 8.5, Fresno 7.5, San Diego State 7. Do you see a team in that group where you're like, yeah, I don't think they're going to get there? Uh, Boise at 9, even though I think they're they're the best team in the conference, is still, I mean, go look at their non-conference schedule starting in week one with Washington, and then they play two other, you know, powerhouses and, you know, kind of in their weight class and UCF and Memphis, that'll be tough. So I, I did not see them, at least I think it's a push at absolute worst from, uh, as far as I'm concerned at 9, so I went ahead and bet under 9. I just don't see them getting the 10-2, and two. even though I like the quarterback, I like the running back room a lot, that offense should be dynamic. We'll see, though, that they don't get Dirk Cutter, uh, who saved their season a year ago as DOC. He moved on and retired. But, uh, yeah, I, I think even though they're the best team in the conference, under nine for me. We get Brad for about 13 minutes a week, and uh, he does some long podcasts, some long shows, so you get him for you know a lot longer than that. And one of them was with uh, Furman recently, Todd Furman. You guys covered the AAC, and um, let's remind the audience with expansion – Above, you know, teams moving around, that means there's changes in the AAC. So what, what's the most impactful change, addition, subtraction when you're starting to look at season win totals around the AAC? Yeah, so let, let me preface by saying with uh, both the Big 12 and the American with so much, you know, uh, movement and realignment in those two conferences, of the, of the conferences that are out and all the, the books that are released win totals, those two conferences, in my opinion, have been the most mispriced, where I'm finding myself almost betting every single team in the conference really? over under their win total. So as far as the American, oh, which one? I mean, I, I loved Rice under, uh, but that's been moved about a, a full win. I, I bet them under five and a half. South Florida, I think, uh, here, here's basically in the American, the, 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 left, the leftovers, I think they benefit, specifically the South Floridas, the Navies, the Temples of the World. I mean, that have been struggling, beating their head against the wall against the Cincinnati's, Houston's, and UCF. 
and now you're telling me they get to play Rice and Charlotte, and they're actually better than those types of programs. So I think it benefits the leftovers, and I found myself betting a lot of their team totals over. Is there a newbie that's coming to the conference that's a mispriced, or you think will come in and, and you know kick some booty? You mentioned Charlotte. You also had Florida Atlantic, North Texas. You mentioned Rice, UAB, and UTSA. I think, you know, I didn't bet their win total. UTSA, certainly from a talent coaching aspect, uh, their best, you know, I think they're, they're the one that can compete right away for a, a conference title. Not projecting it. I, I think Tulane deserves to be the favorite, not at best when you have Memphis two and three, in my opinion, there. Uh, but UTSA can certainly be competitive. There's a long shot that has a chance to shock a lot of people. It's probably Florida Atlantic, even though I thought, you know, the, the early book numbers had them in seven and a half. They were already expecting it, but, uh, you know, Florida Atlantic uh, with the new coach, Tom Herman, bunch of returning experience, 17 returning starters, just added Casey Thompson in the transfer portal. They're a team that could surprise in that conference. Freaking Tom Herman. What a get. What a get. They got a budget. They got money. They want to win at FAU. They've got a history, certainly, with uh, great coaches in the past. Um, I saw you send that a note, and we're talking to Brad Powers, and he's a great follow on Twitter because not only is he giving out his own information in Nuggets on Twitter, but he's also pointing you to all these appearances that he does. So it's at Brad Powers 7. I saw you list some true freshman QBs who could – well, you said keep your eye on in 2023 and beyond. So I'll count these as beyond because the one that caught my attention was Aiden Childs, who is a kid from California, um, I think unwisely snubbed at least one Big Ten school. You know who that is. Uh, but Childs is at Oregon State. You said, hey, keep an eye on him. Like this year with DJU there? Yeah, uh, really? not in September, but maybe by the end of the season. Yeah, I think okay. he's that good, and I, I'm still not sold on DJ. Uh, so I, 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 I know what my eyes told me when, when I thought he was the second best quarterback at the U.S. Uh, Army All American game behind the UCLA kid Dante Moore. I thought Childs was that good in that game, and then the spring game he just he showed. I mean, uh, if I, I could see him being the starter by the end of the year, I mean. Yeah. So I mean, I, that's not only a knock on, on DJ, but it's more of a it's more of a pro child. He's the best quarterback they've ever recruited. No, it was a great get, no no doubt. Um, you mentioned Sellers at South Carolina and uh, Pop Watson at VTech. Uh, why those guys? Yeah, not necessarily. Again, I was it probably should have been more beyond the, the 2023. Obviously, I don't expect uh, you know Sellers to unseat Spencer Rattler, but man, he. He's got a big, thick frame uh, and uh, can run a little bit. And I could just tell, I mean, they, they had, you know, Beamer mic'd up on the sidelines, and you could just tell he, he had a little bit of the way he talked about the kid was a little bit different than everybody else. So, uh, I don't know, it just flashed. And then the Pop Watson kid, he won't be ready physically. But, my goodness, he, he came in the second half of the Virginia Tech spring game and just gave a lot of life. Who does he remind me of? Kind of like a, a Robinson uh, from, from Michigan. I'm dating myself uh, a little yeah, bit there. But, Robinson. I mean, that's what the type of athlete he is. He can run like that. Wow, very nice. Brad, have a great weekend, man. Excellent spot as always. Thanks. We'll see you. Thanks for having me, guys. Take care. There he is, Brad Powers. College football, mid-May. It never stops. The portal keeps delivering. It's freaking awesome. Aces are going to open the season on Saturday, noon. Tip in Seattle. You're going to want to go watch the game, watch parties all year long. This Saturday, Buffalo Wild Wings is the spot. Galleria Mall in Henderson. Ari from Cofield and Company, yeah, right here, will be on the scene. He'll be signing you up to win a pair of tickets to an upcoming Aces game. And you can take advantage of the buy a burger and get six wings for just a buck special 
Buffalo Wild Wings one-on-one burger deal. But go hang with Ari on Saturday. Buffalo Wild Wings and Henderson at the Galleria Mall. Party kicks off right around noon.